Welcome to the second Silmarillion Film Project of 2021 and the first ever officially rebranded Silmarillion <laughs> Film Project live stream. That's right. That's right. We are so sophisticated, I can barely even get over myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think in the new year, we're innovating. And uh, we used to be used to be just a podcast. Then we were uh, uh, a pod. We, we were what a live stream masquerading as a podcast, and now now we're just we're dropping the pretense. <laughs> well, we still have we are still consumable in podcast form, you know. So for those who who still rely upon the podcast delivery mechanism, we're still we're still totally there. We're still totally there. Um, that's that's right. But 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 we've we're 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 going. We're fully embracing the brand new world of just turning the cameras on. Uh, dropping all the backstage stuff, just hitting record, just saying, we're there, we're on the internet, totally unedited. <laughs> That's it. That's so, it. So uh, yep. when Nick and I start just going off on some kind of rant or something, um, it, that's the people get it. That's what the people want. That's why they're here, I think. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For the wild hijinks guaranteed to uh, to, to, to happen here. So absolutely. You know you know, just in time for this, my, my wife and I bought, um, um, I don't, people probably aren't paying close enough attention to really notice, but my wife and I bought a new webcam. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's specifically it's sold by a company that mostly sells equipment that I think is targeted to people who live stream video games. So it's got, <laughs> it's like a higher res and it's got like a real little ring light around it. So oh, I'm, nice. I'm got, higher I, I, resolution, I, I, well lit. There yes. you go. There you go. Yeah. I got, uh... anyway. I, my oh, uh, go ahead. my family gave me a ring light for Christmas. So, uh, so oh really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. Yeah, well, I just we... depend on having daylight bulbs in the uh, in the room. <laughs> we gotta we gotta get you some lighting, Nick. <clears throat> Next, we will all need uh, makeup. <laughs> well, that would be super sophisticated. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I I don't know if our production uh, budget will uh, will extend to that. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. We'll have to anyway, see. Anyway, this is the Silmarillion Film Project podcast slash live stream, uh, the second one of 2021. This is I, I was staring. I it's dawning on me staring at the uh, your slides, Corey. I love how not utterly confusing this is. Session five, twenty two, season five, episode three. That's right. What numbering system applies? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Can't keep track. Session number two. So we've had twenty two uh, sessions in Get season together. five. Yes. But of course, yes. we're discussing episode three. So yeah, I yes. know it's especially for people who are new to that. that that's not going to make a whole lot of sense. Like, is it episode 22 or is it episode three? Yeah. Who knows? I think uh, the distinction between session and episode started to to arise back in season two, mm-hmm. if yes. I recall, where we right. started to realize, oh, wait, these aren't, that's not going to work. Right, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep, yeah, that's right. We kept saying this is episode. This is the twenty second episode of the podcast, but the third episode of oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anyway, I'm I'm the co-host Dave Kale. I am joined as always by the Tolkien professor Corey Olson and uh, one of our wonderful one of, joining us from the writers' room. That's right, Nick Palazzo, who's an re- increasingly frequent guest, which is fantastic because. Uh, I personally think he adds a lot to the uh, to the live stream. I agree. I'm really happy to, you know, especially you know, one of the main changes that we've made, of course, here in season five, is we're integrating more of the uh, the discussion of the work of the script team. Uh, 
th- into the you know sort of our first run through uh, of uh, of the actual episodes here. And so I have been really delighted uh, to have the support of uh, Nick and Marie and other members uh, of the team. So that's been uh, uh, that's definitely been very valuable and a lot of fun. Well, before we get too deep into work, so we're going to be talking about episode three, before which, of course, we need to finish talking about episode two, which we did not quite do. We got through the A plot of episode two when we did episode two, but uh, we need to do the B plot, which actually, of course, is the perfect segue into uh, the A plot of episode three. So uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the encounter between elves and humans and the issue of death. That's going to be the, uh, the, the elves both discovering and then attempting to come to grips with uh, the mortality of humans is going to be our major uh, theme uh, for discussion tonight. Um, uh, But uh, first, a couple uh, quick announcements, uh, because we have some fairly exciting things happening in Signum World. Uh, So the first thing I wanted to draw everybody's attention to is our next moot, text moot, is happening this year. Uh, It's going to be happening virtually February 13th, so everyone is invited. Go to textmoot.org to register. You can also register on the event page on signumuniversity.org as well. Um, I'm excited. I'm a little disappointed. Uh, You know, this is yet another excellent Another moot being held at a uh, venue with excellent barbecue that I'm not able to attend personally, and I grudge that a little bit. But this is so much better than not being able to have one at all. Um, So... um uh, yeah, between like Kansas City in October and Texas in February 13th, I've missed out on a very great deal of excellent barbecue. But uh, we're really happy to have the moot available for folks. So the upside, certainly, of uh, shifting to a virtual moot for Tex Moot this year uh, is that we'll be able to include lots of folks uh, from elsewhere around the world. So uh, hoping you will take the opportunity. Um, it's like 15 bucks to register. It's a, it's a, a small registration fee. Um, it'll be a really fun day. So I invite you to join us for uh, TextMoot. Lots of folks registering. It's uh, been fun watching the registrations come in for that. It'll be a good day. Um, secondly, Signum Clubs are coming soon. And I actually have a premiere announcement to make. Uh, first ever public announcement of something that only happened... 10 hours ago, which is uh, the Signum Academy Clubs program has been officially approved by the Board of Education in the state of New Hampshire to offer graduation credit to high schoolers for participation in our clubs. So for New Hampshire kids, for New Hampshire high school kids, they can participate in our Signum clubs, our book club, our creative writing club, our language clubs, uh, and they can get high school, you can get school credit for participating in our clubs that you can take and transfer into your schools and use towards graduation. Um, uh, uh, This is through uh, a really exciting new program in the state of New Hampshire called the Learn Everywhere program. uh, And we have been uh, approved for, uh, uh, for We've been authorized uh, to offer uh, uh, credit uh, in the state of New Hampshire. So that's really fun. We've been working towards that for a little while. So we're uh, we're excited uh, for folks to join us. And, of course, I'm sorry for people who don't happen to be fortunate enough to live in New Hampshire, uh, which is uh, which has this is the only state that has this super innovative program. Um, But uh, my hope is that we can work hard on making all the other 49 states extremely jealous. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, our clubs, this, these, these clubs are extracurricular club clubs. It's going to be, I mean, the focus is on fun, come to have, you know, participate in really fun book clubs, uh, creative writing workshops, uh, language, just, you know, immersive language discussions, translation where it's, 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 it's going to be real, you know, learn to speak like a Viking, learn to translate, uh, you know, learn to, to, to read Anglo-Saxon. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. We may do, uh, we may do uh, uh, Quenya courses down the road. It's going to be uh, it, it's going to be fun. So, um, uh, so that's that's other that's our premiere announcement. Never been announced publicly before just now. Uh, and uh, and then of course our our film film script discussion continues. Uh, they're all you guys are all the way up to episode seven already. You're you're starting to pull away from us now. Yep, yep, yep. Well, that only gives us a little bit of extra time to actually do any, uh, you know, any writing or uh, I know that uh, Marie's been working hard on uh, on episode four. Um, So kind of laying the track down before the the train. Yeah. Uh, Rihanna's had a little bit of a of an Internet hiccup. Right. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. As soon as she's up and running, we should uh, be seeing a little bit more from her as well. So. That's great. I look forward to that. Um, very good. So the discussion of Episode 7 is going to be on Sunday evening, January 24th at 8.30 p.m. Um, and again, you, go, you, can go, you can find this forums.signumuniversity.org is our discussion forum where most of the uh, community work for some film happens. Uh, so I encourage folks to get connected there. Um, and even if you can't attend the live session, you can still contribute ideas and thoughts, give reactions and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, just contribute uh, concepts towards, uh, uh, towards our, our script outlines, which, of course, Nick and uh, Marie and the rest of our team will, you know, take into account as they're discussing and, and kind of working things through. So, uh, all right. That is, uh, that is what is going on. So, um, uh, and, I, and I do remember, and, and, and you guys, I know Marie will help to remind me too, but uh, I, at the end... I have to remember to announce this the special time for uh, our next uh, our next session, uh, which is uh, going to be a first for us. Uh, okay, no, I, I won't just tease it. I will say it right. I'll tell you in advance. Our next live stream, uh, we were trying to figure out what would be like. We've been trying to work hard to try to figure out the optimum the optimal time for live streaming, and I think we've hit it. Uh, so next time, instead of starting streaming at around you know ten ten thirty Eastern time p.m., uh, we're going to start streaming at two a.m. Eastern time. Uh, 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 next time, it's going to be awesome. Um, uh, we're going to be this. It's designed to be a, a Europe friendly time. We're going to be hanging out uh, with some of our European folks uh, uh, in their morning slot uh, while we um, uh, are uh, in less of a morning time over here uh, in America. So to, to, uh, that will be fun. We'll see who's who's the really dedicated live uh, uh, film film uh, attendees uh, next time. <laughs> But anyway, let's we're, get... We're also going to find out who are the really dedicated hosts. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, no, I'm... Uh, uh, of course, for me, that, it's my normal work day. So I'm, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to uh, uh, stream at 2 o'clock in the morning. But, you live uh, like this. 
it's it's much more civilized than uh, getting up at at uh, you know nine a.m. in the morning to meet with the board of education, for instance. <laughs> but anyway, um, awesome. Okay, so uh, back to episode two. So uh, so Nick, help me remember episode two. Uh, the a plot was the Aravel uh, travel. You know, her leaving Gondolin, and then ultimately right. it started with her departure from Gondolin and ended with her meeting Aeol, Right. Right. So, um, yes, exactly. And our B-plots uh, revolved heavily around uh, Nargothrond. Right. And uh, one of the problems that we were having was the fact that we were we had two plots where basically we just had to show what things were like. Right. You know, we have to show Fingolfin feeling confident that that the siege is working correctly. Yep. And we have to show how the Bayorian humans are living in Nargothrond. Yeah, it's it's the 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 the, the Nargothrond setting of the B plot is interesting, right? Because on the one hand, we are going to be sort of foregrounding the the interaction, right, between the elves and the humans, but it's also one of our biggest backstage with the elves, you know, that is like focusing on the elf elf discussions and uh in particular setting up the the dynamics for the siege uh, for later on right 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 so that's really important yeah so these were two very very important things that we had to show but the again you know and this was uh, my my big concerns for the first few episodes was again there wasn't a lot of story there yeah, wasn't anywhere action. to go yeah. right, right 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 and and it's not even a, a lack of like it's when, when we say action obviously we, we don't just mean like physical action yeah like just fight like, sequences or something right it's not like that <laughs> yeah um although we did just finish off episode six which turned out to be very very action heavy which okay um, i'm excited about Ooh. that as well so yeah <laughs> um but there wasn't a lot of dramatic action either right you know, there wasn't a there wasn't a a place to go with the story, um, right? And I remember so your concerns about that in episode one. But even in episode mm-hmm. one, the whole like we are on a journey together, and then the encounter with Finrod, and mm-hmm. what shall we now do? You know, and the you know like disclosures to the humans, and then their choices about what they do. Um, mm-hmm. In retrospect, that looks like a lot of dramatic action <laughs> compared to what yeah. is going on here. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So, um, so basically, one of the ways that we found to deal with that was to have Fingolfin come to Nargothrond. Right. All right. And by combining those two, we were able to to find ways to um, to deal with Finrod's attitude uh, toward not his attitude, his relationship with Beor and how it's changing right. as Beor gets older. Right, because he is getting older, um, and uh, one thing that uh, and and actually thinking this through kind of helped me realize something in my own life, and that that's that you know at some point in your life, you know once once you, you've been a parent for a, a little while, right, you stop being so invested in becoming the hero in your own story as you are helping your child be the hero in their story. Right. Right. You know, you move into a supporting character role in your own life, which is a, it's a, it's a weird transition, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The elves don't have that transition. 
because they're always going to be there with their children or they they expect to be yeah 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 no i agree it's 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 a good example of one of the fundamental ways in which i mean this idea that uh there is so much of what one does as you say nick as a parent but even just like in other ways in your adult life like you know as you begin to shift in very more or less conscious ways towards like, you know, the legacy you will leave behind, you know, and stuff like that. And that's just, that kind of a thought is, will be utterly alien uh, to the elves. They just would never think that way at all. Um, Even in simple things, which seem perfectly obvious to us, right. Things Mm -hmm. like designating an heir, right. And Mm -hmm. preparing an heir, uh, you know, for, which, of course, is something that we've already begun thinking about in a film film context. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but 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 yes, yes. I mean, um, it's it's it, it is a really good illustration of the kind of thing that is just not um, uh, on the Elvish radar screen. Um, Right. Yeah, as as Marie says, who lives, who dies, who tells your story is not really an yeah. Elvish question. Uh, yeah. You know, that's it's just they, they, yeah. they don't ask those questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, so in the beginning, and another issue was um, to have to not lose sight of um, to to not drop Fingolfin in too late into the episode because mm-hmm. then again that's not a, that's not a story right right that's just a sh- and we've done this a few times there's been times where we'll drop a scene in either the the middle of an episode or at the very end after the denouement to to show what's happening somewhere but right. if we don't give Fingolfin a voice now he's not going to be an important part of the season Right. And that was a very that's a very, very important in this season to show him being a good king and um, and also passing on. Well, we'll get we'll get to that. We'll We'll get get to that a a little bit later. The passing Um, on part. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he so we we start off the episode and this is related back to the Arrow Arrowville plotline, because, again, you may remember we had to get Fingen out of the way so that he doesn't run into his sister when she shows up at, at, uh, at <laughs> yes. Griffin's area. Yes. Yes. Right. So we show him writing a letter to Fingolfin about, um, what he's been observing in East right. Valerian because more men are coming. Um, they're, you know, they're noticing more people arriving. Uh, these at this point are probably, um, the early Haladin, right. uh, entering, right. entering Valerian. And then later, of course, we're going to get um, the the to be known as House of Hador. That's right. Um, with whom he will have a lot more contact. Uh, so he writes a letter to Fingolfin detailing the the situation, and um, and we know that he's going to be leaving the area with uh, with Kelligorm and Kurfin. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right that. It's really a, it really is a challenge that that I'm really glad you know Nick that you guys are being so mindful of um, to make sure that we have a good and a prominent plot arc for Fingolfin. This is Fingolfin's 
last hurrah, right? And he is yeah. going to be the culmination of the season. You know, we need to make sure that Fingolfin's duel with Morgoth uh, is a fitting culmination of this whole season. And so you're absolutely right. right. We can't we can't leave him behind, even though there seems to me a certain amount of tension between that narrative need, right? The need, the need to kind of keep a focus on Fingolfin and to make sure he has a clear arc and the need to be focusing on men and their, you know, evolving relationships and the elvish and human interactions because Finra, or sorry, uh, uh, Fingolfin is quite incidental to that, yes. really. I mean, he's yeah. not centrally involved in that Right. which is kind of the central story uh, of season five. So it would be really easy to allow him to become detached and therefore his, you know, wonderful, dramatic and tragic, uh, you know, death scene to look like a uh, a strange add-on sort of appendix at the end of the season. Right, right. And I mean, because obviously, as as you pointed out, way earlier in the season, Finrod is really the voice of what the elves think. Right about the humans and so one way that we did that was making finrod's realizations come a little bit slower right right finrod by his very nature is um he is trying he's doing what galadriel does later right Right. he's trying to maintain a, a an oasis of of unchangingness in a way Mm -hmm. in nargothrond Mm -hmm. and so he's while he is embracing a people He's not, you know, it takes a paradigm shift does not come easy to it. Right, right. And and right. The, the, uh, one thing I'd throw out there, I mean, you're right, obviously, about the sort of the parallel between Nargothrond as Enclave and Lothlorien as Enclave later on. Uh, but of course, one of the major differences is that Galadriel, by the time we get to the Third Age, Galadriel knows quite well what she's doing, right? She's very self-consciously, right. uh, you know, right. trying to, you know, sort of create the this bubble. Uh, there, right. um, and it seems almost uh, oh, explicit that that is being done by the power of the uh, of the Elven Ring. Um, Finrod is doing it, I think, like uh, unconsciously in a sense. Like it's mm-hmm. it, this is just life to him. Like he he, th- and again, that's why the theme of the season is change. He doesn't even right. realize that he's like that he's resisting something it's it's like he's right. going to be coming to to an understanding right. uh that the world is changing around him you know in these ways and yeah. that i think is the really fun thing about the interaction between finrod and the humans is that they, this is how they're going to be teaching him right he is going to be learning so by the end of the season finrod is going to be much more aware of the way that things are changing in the world than people mm-hmm. like Fingolfin are because he's the one who's been uh, interacting with the humans through all this. Right. Right. Now, of course, the, the letter that Fingen writes to Fingolfin is a little bit of a cheat. Um, and I'll, ex- <laughs> I'll explain. So it's, it's not typically good form to, um, to have an entire act of your episode go by without introducing the protagonist to one of the plots. That's not typically a great thing, but, Having Fingen write the letter to him gets his it gets his name spoken on screen so that the audience is thinking of him. So when he shows up early in Act Two, it's not as big a deal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So if you um if and you of want course, to, uh, the other thing I was going to say, of course, Fingolfin is looming in the a plot as well, right? Like right. he's he's the one that right. Arthel was supposed to be going on a diplomatic mission to. So that's right. another exactly. way in which he's you know he's he's before he's present he's still. 
you know, right. in the air. He's part of the story. Yeah. 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 So if you want to flip over to the C plot so we can kind of like work our because these are so intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um so on the flip side of that, um Bayor is training Adonel to to take over for him. Right. Uh, right. He's actually skipping, you know, like two generations essentially in doing this. She's now in her early twenties, as Andreth is eventually going to be. And um, one of the things that I like about this is there is a certain wisdom in combining the the wisdom of age and the adaptability of youth. That having someone who is nearing the end of their life and. Um, passing information directly to the the next generation of adults i i like that better than having it filtered down through a couple of other generations right because it a lot that allows faster generational change mm-hmm. than um than the way we normally do it right where you know you you pass things on from one generation to the next and yes there is a certain amount of pushback from youth on you know the the structure that's being imposed upon them from above right but by the time they really understand enough to do anything about it they're already part of the structure right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you skip those two generations in the middle it kind of helps alleviate that in a way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and and I really like the way in which it's sort of it's Bayor's wisdom which consciously initiates the transition. Like we, we, we were focusing before when we were talking about the characters and the, and the plot lines, we were focusing on the important role of Andreth in making the choice to shift from, you know, the wise woman as leader to like, we're going to need a more active leadership now, now that we, you know, when, right. when they go to Ladra. So her consciously beginning to train, uh, you know, her nephew in order to, to, to really take over. Um, that, of course, is the mirror image of what Bayor has done here, right? He is right. the one who now sees, you know, this kind of like patrilinear, um, you know. Uh, uh, Mosaic. Yeah, like active leadership This is, is no longer what this people needs. You know, now right. we need uh, we need we need wisdom and we need to be rooted in, you know, our, our stories and traditions, which is, you know, Adonel will have you know, absorbed a lot of that. That's one of the things that, you know, Adonel is sort of most known for is the, you know, her kind of, you know, retaining the, the stories and traditions of the people. Um, that's what he's going to value most. Right. So um, anyway, it's, I, I, I think it's really interesting to show that in this episode, uh, some kind of taste of the fact that, you know, this is not, this is not like arbitrary. This is not, you know, a whim on Bayor's part. Like I don't particularly like my son or my grandson either. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hand over leadership to, or, you know, like we, you know, show them like, you know, with a drinking problem or something. It's not that right. It's, you know, he, he is, he is consciously establishing a new vision for his people right. in this. Um, yeah. And uh, and the next stage, of course, will be Andreth seeing a little bit further than he and seeing right. that, like, although the vision itself was not a bad vision and it was indeed well suited to the circumstances, what she's going to see that he does not yet fully see uh, is that the circumstances that he's adapting to are long term going to be detrimental to the people. Right. Ultimately, yeah, yeah, you know, and maybe some of them will be fine, you know, maybe, 
um, it depends on on temperament. Like everybody's different. Right. Not everybody is going to live in in the same circumstances the same way. Right. 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 Um, yeah, but so she, one of the things... uh, wait, sorry, one last little quick thing. I mean, notice that the really cool thing that this also sets up, um, the humans are on top of the change thing, right? They yeah. get it. It's not just that they change naturally without even thinking about it, right? They are fully prepared from the very, from Beor on through, you know, uh, through Andreth later on. Um, they're ready to both perceive the need for change and to institute sweeping changes um, mm-hmm. while... You know, Finrod and the other elves are still not even really comprehending the fact that change like that not only needs to occur, but even is occurring. Um, so just right. showing their um, there is a sense in which they are wiser than the elves, certainly when it comes to this stuff. You know, they really do mm-hmm. perceive more. And I think that that's really yeah. uh, an important dynamic. Sorry. Go, go ahead. No, no. Later. I just wanted to. So um, early in the episode, we wanted to establish the fact that Bayer is getting older. Yes. So when Finrod invites Bayer to come to the sea, sorry, uh, Hakon, when Finrod invites Bayer to come visit the sea with him, he says, you know, nah, good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because his traveling days are done. Right. You know, and he knows it, but Finrod's not there yet. He doesn't really understand the fact that, you know, Beor is starting to slow down. And also Beor has stuff to do here in Nargothron. Right. right. You know, um, he's not, he, you know, he, he, he doesn't have his house quite in order, the order that he wants it to be yet. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he's, so he's what, 80 uh, in this episode? In episode two? Ooh, you're asking the wrong person. Um, in this episode, he is. I try, I'm try, I, I try to after that, so yes, stay connected yes, with the chronology, but I, yeah, <laughs> I don't always keep it straight. Old. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he's yeah. getting, he's getting up there. Right. So, um, so what? What is like you know a little tour of you know his relatives, you know, to is inviting the eighty year old to undertake a cross continental trek, you know, and right. that's. By the way, I do really, I do really love the way in which you guys have kept, you know, like a nod towards that other potential plot line <laughs> in the final plot. The, you know, the the prospect. I actually kind of like even better the fact that Bayor might have been the first human to see the sea, but but didn't. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's yeah. that's kind of uh, I. I to, that's better, I think, even than just you know avoiding it entirely. Right. Well, and it also shows that that his focus is different now, because Finrod's essentially offering him the closest that he could get to what he was looking for initially. Mm-hmm. But that's not Beor's priority anymore. Right. You know, he's changed. He's changed what his aim is, and Finrod doesn't quite grasp that yet. Right. Right. Um. So as the as the episode progresses, um, fin, you know, Finrod comes back. Um, the, you know, everybody knows that Fingolfin is is going to be arriving soon. So they, it, um, you know, they're preparing for his arrival. The humans that are present, um, you know, they're preparing because this is going to be the first time the High King has ever seen humans. Right. 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 So they're preparing to make a good impression, obviously. Um, 
and I, I can only imagine the like epic stature that Fingolfin would have in the minds of I mean right I mean like for these humans when they get to Nargothrond like everyone in Nargothrond would seem like a king right I mean just like mm-hmm. the 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 splendor like the wealth, the splendor, the I mean, wealth beyond imagining, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then to hear all of those people, right, who seem so high and splendid and lofty, talk about the visit of their high king. Uh, I mm-hmm. mean, that's got to be intimidating. One thing that I hope I can remember um, by the time we get to the, the later, the last couple of episodes, though, is that I want to have. Barra here refer to Finrod as the king, mm-hmm. you know, because you remember you were talking about him having this Estelle that Finrod will arrive yes. and having him reassuring his men that no, the king will come. Right. And right. he doesn't mean Fingolf and he means Finrod. Right. Uh, right. So that I, that's just something I, I, like I've been trying to keep in the back, back of my brain uh, while we've been doing this. Um. So then uh, Fingolfin does arrive in Nargothrond. I think there's probably more about this back the other way on the other uh, on the other page there. Uh, but he does arrive in, in uh, Nargothrond, and Finrod is kind of showing off the men. He is talking about how quickly they they're, they've adapted and how they've developed their uh, developed the area that they live in now. But to Fingolfin, who hasn't seen the change, mm-hmm. it still looks so primitive. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I have a question about how does the presentation go? I mean, is it kind of like the staff lining up in a row outside the front door of Downton Abbey? Or, I, I mean, <laughs> like... That, that is specifically an image that I wanted to avoid. Uh, I know, but I mean, it's it, like... I, the, I think... Is I, it is it like Figolfin and Fingen go to the zoo? I mean, what's it like? <laughs> you know what? It, it, is going, <laughs> it is going. It is going to be a little of that though, no matter what. Right. Because right. It. Um. So, like, I would imagine that Finrod kind of like takes Fingolfin through their, um, through their their settlement in Nargothrond and whatnot, and uh, is showing him some of the crafts. One thing that we. Uh, we had talked about is that uh, is that somebody gives uh, Fingolfin a little doll, right? A little human-made doll, which to him, like this is supposed to look like a person. Like that's not, <laughs> right, right. That's not what that is. You call this representational right? art? <laughs> right. right? Yeah. And so because how could it appear to be anything but like obviously the elves could make things that were so much better so he's not he's not seeing the progress right especially right? since remember the age thing right, right. i mean He's going to assume – I mean, obviously, he's going to assume that, like, even if a child comes up to him and hands him something, he's like, you've had 35 years to practice your craft and this is the best you can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's, well, that's this, how it would be among the Noldor. Yeah. This is this is an adult in in, in this right. particular case, it's, which is important yes. for later. Um, so – but he – I mean, like, he's not rude, obviously. He's Fingolfin. Like, he is – you know he's regal and he's you know the the mightiest of uh, of the Eldar, uh, but he's not rude to them, 
you know, that's that's not that's beneath him as high king. I yeah. Think. Are they um, just so? Uh, but of course, here, here's an. I mean, how much? Uh, like when he speaks with them, is there any mm-hmm. element of? I mean, again, this is this is this is new to him, right? I mean, is mm-hmm. there is there any touch of, uh, you know, hi. My yeah. name is Fingolfin. You know, like, I mean, that's a very natural dynamic, right? Are we going to, I mean. I think the way that I would see it is that Fingolfin is doing most of the talking. Right. Fin, that Finrod is doing most of the talking here. Yep. Yeah. Because Finrod is translating everything for him. Right. You know, it's like when, when you take your friend who's never been to this particular country or city and you're showing them around and you love this place, right? You think right. this place is the best or a restaurant, right? <laughs> right. Like a, a restaurant that you really like and you're sitting down and like they they're looking at the menu and maybe they've never eaten this kind of food. So they're looking at it kind of askance and you're like, right. Oh, you should try this. Right, like that's right, kind right. of the attitude that, that, that Finrod probably has here. Uh, right. So Fingolfin probably doesn't have to do a little, a lot of talking, but that just plays it off better because you can see it in his face. He's just like underwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. This, this, this precisely perceived gap between the effusiveness of Finrod's presentation mm-hmm. and what Fingolfin is seeing. Yeah. Right. Right. So um, then in, in act three, uh, Finrod and, um, and Beor have a little bit of a confrontation um, because Beor is letting Avnel do all the work. Right. 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 And he's just kind of supervising and, you know, she's pretty stressed out because a lot's being put on her. You know, it's not, she's not quite up to this yet. And, and Beor is there to, to step in if he needs to, mm-hmm. you know, but, but he's, he's preparing he's, her for leadership. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. And Finrod starts getting on his case. Like, what? You know, you could handle this. I know you can handle this. Why, right. you know, why Why are you making me have to get used to this new person? <laughs> right. 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 right? To, and having her doing all these things, she's she's clearly not happy about it. You know, like things could go wrong why mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and you know Bayer's trying to he's trying to gently you know he's not telling him why really at this point but he's like well you know she she needs to learn you know <clears throat> people need to learn new things it's okay everything's fine nothing's gone wrong Everything's okay. She's doing a great job. You know, Finrod's seeing her kind of running around like a chicken with her head cut off. But everything's going okay. It's part of the process. This is part of the process. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. How else is she going to learn? But but of course, Finrod is like, why does she need to learn this? Right? You know, uh, it would be like Finrod arbitrarily deciding, well, today I'm not going to be king. I'm just going to let somebody else do it instead because right. I, for it some reason, feel like like, a, that. like like that would be insane. Right. That would be an insane thing for him to do. Right. 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 Yeah. Um. You know, you'd be you'd be like, 
son Nicholas. I have to say son first so that everybody knows that you're not talking to me. Son Nicholas, <laughs> run my university for me. <laughs> right, exactly. Because I'm just going to like today I just want to like, you know, read a book. Yeah. So I'm going to be hanging out over there. Uh, you just do it today because yeah, I don't want no to. No problem. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Well, you're, you're not going to be around forever, Corey. But that's it. That's it. And that's, you know, I mean, Nick, as you were describing this, of course, I'm thinking about my teenagers. You know, I mean, this is one thing that I, um, you know, and this is I know that neither one of you are, are quite to this stage yet in your parenting process. But I mean, you do you get to a point where I, I want to see my kids struggle. Like, I want to see them struggle, yeah. you know, because I want yeah. that, you know, because I know they're not going to grow. I, I don't want to take, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly when it happened, you know, that sort of transition from, you know, like the way that you guys are very familiar with, like following your kids around and like catching things when they fall and, you know, making sure they have everything they need and instead backing up and saying, no, no, like I, I, I'm it, now it's time for you to start and figure out how to do this yourself because pretty soon you're going to be out on your own. And if, you know, you're, you know, if uh, you're used to nothing other than somebody else doing everything for you, you're not going to make it. Right. So, yeah. um, that, that, that conscious, ch- and so he's reached that point without a no, right? He's not about to right. die. He's still got a decade left, right, of life. Right. So it's not like he's on his deathbed. And, and, and exactly the strain with Finrod here, it's not like he can't do it. He could do it. He's just choosing not to. But of course, it's a wise choice in this, in this instance. Right. Um, so now, um, Bayor has a conversation with Fingolfin. Um, so right now what we're seeing, because no humans have entered Balerion as like, we haven't seen any other humans yet. Right. <clears throat> so what we're seeing here is the leader of the Noldor the and the leader of right. the humans, as yeah. far as we know, yeah. having a, having a heart to heart. Right. Right. And there, so Bayer wants to know about what's going on with Morgoth, right? Which you know, like this, this is the reason why he, ultimately this is the reason why they came into Beleriand, why they chose to stay. Right. Right. Is, and Fingolfin is like, oh yeah, no, it's fine. Like that's, that's all stuff that's going on over there. Right. Um, and he, he tells him about how the siege is going and, you know, he's not expecting, he, he tells him like, you know, we're not expecting you to, to do anything. It's okay. Don't right. don't worry about that. Don't worry your little head about that. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and of course, in the background um, of the scene, we thought it would be interesting if they're like there's children at play in the background. And of course, their play. What do children do when they're playing? They're modeling adult behavior. Right. You know, you see, you know, little kids taking care of dolls or pretending to be making things or chasing each other around. That's that's the whole purpose of play, right. right? In a way, is to to prepare children for adulthood. And we're not, you know, we're not drawing a lot of attention to it, but we're seeing it happening in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Fingolfin, um, of course, you know, as their conversation progresses, Fingolfin is starting to realize, hey, this guy looks pretty old, mm-hmm. right? That's that's I'm not I don't know what's going on there. So he kind of assumes that that there's some grief behind him, yeah. uh, which of course there is. Bayor has has lost sure. a has lost a spouse, um, which Fingolfin can empathize empathize with because he also lost a spouse. 
his son's wife died right in front of him, right, right in front of them. Right, right. And, and, you know, so, and, and he uses, direction. right, and he uses the, like, now it's like his his fatherhood instinct um, is being, coming out because he's thinking about Turgon, right? right. Um, while Arabelle's off having her adventure, his daughter's off having her adventure, right? right. Um, so we're bringing, like, we're actually bringing up the his parenting in all three cases in this, you know, in this episode here. By the way, I absolutely love, um, it's one of my favorite things about this episode. The, both, because it happens with both Finrod and Fingolfin, they perceive, you know, Beor's aging and they interpret mm-hmm. it from within an elvish context, right? Because they have no yeah. other framework, right? So I, I mean, because yes. yes, the only way that, an elf would, you know, sort of wither and weaken and pass away, it would be out of grief, right? Mm. So that's yeah. an absolutely logical conclusion. As he, you know, he's going to see him, in, and in some way, Fingolfin, having just met him, is going to perhaps see him more objectively. Fingen's overlooking some things, right? right. Because he's been living with him every day, and, and, and also maybe because mm-hmm. there's already a little bit of denial going on in Finrod's mind, right, uh, as he sees his friend change. And Finrod will know, Finrod will have known him for long enough to know that Beor is not dwindling because of grief, right? right. So he yes. would never even think that. But Fingolfin coming in and seeing this white-haired 80-year-old guy, uh, you yeah. know, would be like, what's wrong with him, right? Why is he <laughs> all withered and stuff? Like, that, right. that's... It's like, you know, and there's only one excuse for that. Like, I, I, he must be... This must be how, you know, the um, the wasting away of grief, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and the the you know the the sort of dwindling of the Hroa when the when the Fea is in yeah. grief. This must be how this manifests among among men. It's a very right. very logical conclusion. I, I love mean, that. He, and he saw what happened to Muriel. Yeah, like it's not completely mm. out of his experience for for something like that to happen, right? right. And that's kind of the way that human death due to age kind of looks right to that. right no it makes perfect yeah, that's sense a, that's a good call i was i would find myself thinking like would, would he even really even recognize i mean sure i guess he would be able to tell like this guy doesn't look something looks different uh, right. but but would he recognize it but you're right he would he would he's at least seen something similar there once. is a paradigm that he would have it's the wrong yeah, paradigm yeah. but but there is one yeah um so th- um so Fingolfin then later on witnesses a the the final confrontation the climactic climactic confrontation between Finrod and Beor over the fact that Beor is you know um, is just sitting there forcing Adonel to go through this crucible right 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 um, leadership training preparation yeah right um, and Beor finally said it's it's because I'm going to die. Right. Like, I'm not going to be here forever. Yeah. I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to be here to lead the people. Somebody has to do it. And he, you know, he lays out all of his, his purpose in, you know, in Adonel specifically in, in, you know, in where she's at in her age. And yes, she's inexperienced, but she's, you know, but I've been working for her for all this time and, you know, and, her very experience in a lot of ways is an asset because she's able to look on our situation with fresh eyes. Right. Right. 
and Finrod still kind of like he sees that as kind of a symbolic thing like yes you know like um this was you know, my like everybody could die i have the yes yeah i was gonna, this was my fit my my other one right the 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 two different the the the, the two different elvish like assumptions right that come in the one is fingolfin's theory that Beor must be right. dwindling because of grief uh the other one is that when Beor tries to explain mortality right i'm i'm going to it's not going to be long now and i'm going to die the elves have a paradigm for that right? it sounds like he's prophesying his own death right. i love that like oh ha- right. has a force a foreseeing come upon you right, right. is that, like right. okay so uh, because th- that's a thing right somebody saying like yes i you know i believe that uh, before much time passes before much more time passes i'm going to die that that happens to elves yeah. uh yeah. <laughs> but yeah that, fact, that's, that's fantastic that exact same Finrod has that exact same prophecy about himself. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah, no, I love that. I just, and even as, that's the other thing that I love about it is the way that it works. uh, And, you know, people who don't know the Silmarillion would never, you know, wouldn't see this necessarily. But of course, it's foreshadowing. Because, yes, Finrod is going to prophesy his own death uh, in a very similar way. Um, Mm -hmm. um, But so, yeah, that, that, they they have a paradigm for that. They have a paradigm for the prophesying of one's own death, not simply. But of course, that's not what Bayor is talking about. And and so right. having that as a way for Finrod to still, because you know, we don't want Finrod to look thick. Um, right. But I think it does a really good job of of sort of showing how they're just they're just they, they, he cannot parse this situation. Yeah. It's it's very strange to him. Yeah. Now. Fingolfin is, a, I, f- I feel, a lot closer to mortality than Finrod um, in that he – I feel like he has personally seen more death. He was present at the Kinslaying. Finrod was not. You know, like he's – Fingolfin uh, has been up there right by Thangorodrim this whole time. Finrod has not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so Fingolfin and Fingolfin's a generally more practical person on top of all that. Mm-hmm. And so he he gains understanding from this, not only of Beor's situation, but of his own. And this actually is going to inform a lot of his actions moving forward uh through the rest of the season. Because he has a son. He has one remaining child that he has access to. Right. <laughs> right. He and does have his spare who is safely squirreled away like you would do with a good spare. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And he decides to make a change himself in the way that he is dealing with Fingen. Fingen is no longer going to be his captain. Mm-hmm. Fingen is going to be is going to become his successor. Yes. He is going to, to rise Fingen up to be his successor. Because one of the one of the problems and you brought this up when we were talking about um Fingolfin's duel with mm-hmm. Morgoth mm-hmm. is how senseless it appears for him to just leave his people in a lurch like that. Right. Right. And of course the the reality is that a a good king should not be so afraid, you know, should not 
be leaving his people ill-prepared if he leads them into battle. Right. Like Theoden not going to Dunharrow. Right. I mean, you know, right. the, the, there is the argument that says, oh, but you are the leader. You should not be risked. Theoden knows better than to play it that way. Right. That's not, right. in fact, how a good leader is. But as you say, if you don't prepare, I mean, notice that in addition to riding off, what is what does it's almost the last thing that Theoden does before he leaves Edoras, uh, you know, on the way to Helm's Deep is anoint Aemir as his heir right. officially. You know, Theodred, right. my son, is slain. Um, so he is he's going to do neither thing. Theoden does neither thing, right? He is neither going to protect his own life at all costs because right. he's the king, nor is he going to um, risk his life without any thought about what's going to happen later. He's going to provide for his right. people. Now, Amir's going with him into battle, so of course they both could die. Yeah. Um, but they also, they, they, they believe that Eowyn also is going to survive no matter what happens in this battle and that she will of course they're wrong because she's going to come with them right but. right eventually yeah exactly and but 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 yes again i'm thinking of the and I'm, I'm thinking especially of that first departure the one towards helm's deep not the one towards uh Minas Tirith, mm-hmm. but but even there like the house of aeoral will remain right the house of aeoral right. you know amir is not the last there is another and she is going to take over the mm-hmm. leadership of the people, right, as she's going to lead them mm-hmm. to Dunharrow, but she's also the last hope in case Aemir and Theoden are both slain. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, I think it's, it's, um, it's, that's a good kind of model. And it is really interesting to see, and, and that kind of thinking, you know, to say, like, see, look at these ways in which <clears throat> Theoden is obviously acting like a good king. It seems so natural, right? And yet... Yeah. It is important for us to realize that kind of thinking would be entirely alien to the elves. And and one of the things we've tried, been trying to do consistently is show ways and, – and because it's obvious that the elves are like – they're just better. Right. 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 <laughs> like they're stronger, faster, smarter, better at – doing anything <laughs> yes yes like even they're before there are several centuries of extra practice yes yeah. Right. yeah um yeah but there's still things that human because they're coming at things from a different uh a different angle there's still ways in which the humans keep surprising them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and things which they wind up learning from these these humans even as they are you know uplifting for better or for worse uplifting these human cultures themselves uh we were just talking about something similar to this in in our episode six session which will be fantastic to talk about when we get there yeah um but so yeah so um and the reason that we brought up the the detail of the doll was because as so fingolfin writes a letter to to fingen you know bookending the the episode and mm-hmm. you know uh, encouraging him and, and, and starting this process, right. Of, uh, of elevating Fingen. And as he rides out, he has that, you know, the doll in his hand and there's a little human girl, you know, at like on the side, you know, as he's leaving, cause everybody's like, hey, why? you know, <laughs> and he leans down in the saddle and hands, hands the doll off to the next generation, to a little girl mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know, sh- sh- not only telling them, but showing that he that he gets it, right. that he now understands. And because think, what, what do kids do with dolls? They're learning to be parents. And that right. is that exact same 
he's he's participating in the human ritual of uh, of passing on uh, knowledge and skills that are required mm-hmm. um, to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I really like the overall like the the character growth arc of Fingolfin during this B plot mm-hmm. of this episode. I think that's really satisfying, and it's also not only does it accomplish something I think important for Fingolfin, and certainly as you say, set up what's coming in the next you know eleven episodes of the season for Fingolfin. Um, the you know, even though most of that's going to be happening in the background. Um, but it also sets up an interesting contrast with Finrod, right? Because Finrod still doesn't get, you know, Finrod's character is right. kind of static through this episode, which right. I think is important because that by itself, that kind of is Finrod's character or at least where Finrod's character begins is not changing, right? And not even pre- mm-hmm. understanding the need to change. Uh, and so that Fingolfin, who is late to the party, um, gets it quicker than uh, Finrod, I think is a good thing. And, and you know, it, it, it helps to create... The you know the future drama of because Fingon is the one who's going to or sorry Finrod is the one who is going to get the the longer and more detailed arc over the course of the season. He's right. going to be the one in the foreground more of the time, um, so we can afford to take more time to have his arc be a little yeah. bit more slowly developing in that way. Um, and so it's it it, it 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 does a great job setting that up, uh, making that kind of contrast, but also uh, continuing with that. So I agree with. Marie, that that seems like an excellent transition to episode three, right? Wait, wait, wait. I have a quick question. Yeah, sure. Quick, uh, my mem- memory's fuzzy. Um, we said, I believe we said, did we, did we say, and I guess we say a lot of things, that doesn't mean they actually happen when the, <laughs> uh, the writers take the note, but um, did we, ha- we had an idea about Pengolfin having like a, a foretelling or a prophecy about his own death. Uh, uh, have we retained getting... that, and has that happened yet? No, we have not. Okay. We have not gotten there yet. Yeah, um, yes, we've is... retained it, and no, it hasn't happened yet. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was putting. I was putting sort of his his character growth in this episode together with that. Like, yeah. you know, just trying yeah. trying to figure out how those two things interplay. Like, you know, because if he'd already had that at this point, yeah, this would be very poignant. This idea of like, you know, Oh, I'm not going to be around forever, but he hasn't even, he hasn't, I guess he doesn't know that for sure yet, or he doesn't right. have, doesn't, he just has like the vague sort of foreboding that like, Hey, we're in a war, bad things right. could happen. I should do right. something about that. And but at some point was, he will like have a more concrete yeah. foreboding. Yeah. Especially when Morgoth's foot lands on his face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little past foreboding at that point. Basically, well, first thing, I think that this is this realization that he's having here is stronger without him having like any kind of direct knowledge of his death or anything like that. Yeah. He's doing, I think he's I agree. doing the right thing anyway. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah it's you know? more about it's more about doing the right thing and less about like, you know, um, solving an actual like a specific problem or something right right exactly yeah it's 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 the elves it's like i guess kind of maybe one of our first clearest instances of the elves like learning something from Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and changing i mean changing right there you know during the episode yeah 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 speaking of which this episode called uh the death of baor aka finrod gets a new dog that's um, right. That's right. Yes, yes. we've got uh, Finrod takes his uh, fake takes his favorite pet to the to the vet. Uh, yeah, um, I I had such I had such a hard time 
dealing with this because like I had this feeling of revulsion every any time that it felt like we were leaning too heavily towards the you know that right 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 yes um, because we're talking about human beings here right uh, and and of course the relationship between Finrod and uh, and Bayor is not a a master pet relationship right. Right. I love the overall episode title, by the way. The Gift of Men, I think, is a fantastic yes. uh, title uh, for the mm-hmm. Bayor Dies episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but, he, yeah. So, but it's not entirely unlike that situation. And I'm reminded of uh, there was a meme going around for a while that, that was like, uh, you know, people on uh, like Reddit or something talking about how. You know, humans are like elves to dogs because we outlive them by so long. And, and, you know, we could actually watch generations of Mm -hmm. this dog family go by over the course of our lifetime. Um, no, I mean, there are legitimate parallels yeah. without, I mean, not intending any insult. But of course, the, one of the reasons that we have to make that parallel is that there's, you know, in our lives, we don't know of any other species that are also rational species. You know, we don't have the two body system with the elves yeah. and men. I mean, it's part of right. the whole creative experiment of Tolkien there. So it's the closest that we, it's the closest thing that we have. You know, when you have a, you know, beloved pet whom you know well and love well and, and you know, that that's, that's. It's the closest thing because it's it's not it's 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 both both saying, you know, Finrod and Beor is like the master and his dog um, is not, of course, exactly right. It's not exactly like that. But nor is it exactly like a guy and his friend. I mean, it is like that, but it's but it's Mm -hmm. different. It's not it's it's. That fails. Just imagining two human friends hanging out with each other absolutely loses. I I, I actually think that's more misleading than the the human dog parallel. Yeah, because while they're both now, it's it's not the same. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Footnote. Just to explain, uh, Nick is using a term which I love as well. It's an enormously useful term. It's a C.S. Especially Lewis term. Especially in this case. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, so the, uh, this is it's from Out of the Silent Planet, from the Space Trilogy in general. Uh, the word now, which means H N A U, which just means like a rational species, basically. You know, like the, there's 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 there, there's there's beasts, and then there's now and uh, um, and yeah both of them both Lewis in the space trilogy uh, but of course much more centrally Tolkien throughout you know his legendarium is you know one of their primary kind of like the you know in as much as imaginative lit both fantasy and science fiction are kind of premised on what if questions right what if mm-hmm. you know there were magic or you know what if uh, you know uh, we were you know traveling to this strange you know there was a planet in which this happened or whatever um, yeah. the, the 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 most fundamental what if question of Tolkien's legendarium is what if there were two rational species who differed in this way you know you get the elves uh-huh. and you've got the humans um, and we're trying to and again th- this is more than ever before, uh, th- that's one of the primary things that we're really focused on uh, in season five, really mm-hmm. trying to develop yeah. that concept. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Bayor is is getting he's getting to the end here, right? Yeah. He's he's on his way out the door, and he knows it. Yeah. Um, we decided to show that process. 
Um, and it's, you know, a lot of us have, have, have watched this take place, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it, and I remember this episode being hard to discuss because of this, because yes. we were deliberately showing the process of that you go from being aged to being no longer with us. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, yeah. You know, when the first scene in the episode, um, Bayor suffers an injury, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Finrod brings in brings in his healer because they, you know, they the human healers are doing the best they can under the circumstances. It's not, you know, and we've talked about this before. You know, like how, like the elven healers don't have ways to deal with illness, right? You know, they like they just don't. That's not something they've learned how to deal with. Yes. Yes. You know, so the you know the healer has to take Finrod aside and be like, "Look, I mean, I've done what I can, uh, but his his bones are shot. Mm-hmm. Like he like they they're breaking to like his bones shouldn't have break broken that way. He right. should be getting better from he should be bouncing back from this better. I don't really understand what's happening here. Right. Um, right. Yeah, and um, the. That you know, it seems to suggest another. It's almost it's not exactly the same, but almost that's uh, kind of parallel to the uh, trying to interpret it within an elvish paradigm thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, grief was one that we talked about, right? Um, it would be very natural for the healer to tell Finrod he must have some kind of disease that we haven't seen yet, right? Like right. the the I mean, there's his his body is not responding. Right. I can as you say, like the bone should be mending. It's just not at least not nearly as fast as it seems like it should. Um, Right. uh, Everything that I know about, you know, the the Hroa and the mending of the Hroa. Right. is not working here. Um, Right. Therefore. But but of course, the Elvish healer, you know, a Nargothrond healer would have now, uh, you know, a, a couple decades of experience of seeing human illness, right? Which right. they're still trying to understand, and they don't deal with it because, of course, they don't come straight to the elvish healers, presumably, right? right whenever they're sick, right? Um, right. Yeah. But he, but he yeah. knows at least the concept. Like, okay, these right. folks are subject to these strange weaknesses and deteriorations of their body that we aren't. Um, so yeah. he's so clearly his theory would be he must have something that we don't understand right. something that we don't well, get. And I can imagine elven healers almost making it worse sometimes because they would have to like, they would have to use their knowledge of the body. Like think about the way that, um, that people thought about the human body during the Renaissance mm-hmm. when they had taken the human body apart, they knew what all the parts were and where everything was and what, it, and kind of what it was doing, but they would talk to you about, Oh, well you have too much black bile or too much yeah. yellow bile. And it's, yeah. you know, you have to have it all in balance. Like the elves would start saying things like that, <laughs> right. that to a modern person make no sense whatsoever, but like what, like they just have to come up with, Right. What, they would be theorizing and on very little data. I mean, I don't think we're, you know, I can't imagine an elvish healer <clears throat> performing, you know, autopsies and dissections, uh, right. especially since we, we don't have any cadavers yet. Right. <laughs> this is Nobody's our first. Really <laughs> had a couple of deaths due to, to illnesses like, you know, like like regular right. illnesses, right. like cancer or, you know, something like that. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, there so would have anyway, been some deaths. You're right. Some cadavers yeah. would have been available. Um, but but the, no, there's, they're not. certainly not going to study the dead human body. The, I mean, that's not what elves would do. It's not crews. Yeah, yeah, no. So, um, uh, so yeah, so they would be speculating. Specu- mm-hmm. And speculating fairly wildly about, right. like, what is the mechanism of disease? What mm-hmm. context would they even have for that? Uh, I mean, like, so, even like the concept, for instance, the concept of communicable disease, totally alien mm-hmm. to elves, right? Right. So one of the things now, of course, I realized this, uh, you know, a while ago, I think I, I mentioned this to you on Twitter, who among the elves does have an understanding of this mm-hmm. is veterinarians. Right. Like elves who work on healing their horses, their dogs, like like they deal with aging. They right. deal with illnesses right. because right. none of those animals are elves. And right. while in, in Valinor, they may have not had this problem, but they've been in Middle Earth now for a good amount of time. So they would have had people who were who are now trained in this sort of speciality. So Finrod consults with the guy who takes care of his horses. Right. Like, hey, um, can I pick your brain on this for just a second? Right. I, I, I could imagine that emerging in a fairly organic way, right? Like him just hanging out with, you know, uh, uh, and, and hearing a vet make a comment about treating a horse and, and you know, like, like, or maybe there's like an aging horse there, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. And Finrod is like, hey, uh, you know, and... and Consults with him about that. Yeah, I mean, right. no, it makes it's it's hard because like here again, we're we're coming right exactly to the edge of right. the whole like you know I need to take care of yeah. my pet dog thing. Um, but 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 I mean, you're absolutely right. And by the way, it occurs to me; it never occurred to me before. You were just saying this when we're talking about change and how things are changing in the years of the sun. This is that this would be one of the places where the elves would be most aware of it, right? Because. Yeah. Yes, like horses would live much longer in Valinor because time flows differently in Valinor. Right. You know, Tolkien right. talked about that in some uh, yeah. kind of abstract ways. So um, the acceleration of life cycles would mm-hmm. be – I mean, I would think they would encounter it most – they would see it in plants. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the trees would be growing and aging faster than they were used to, right? Um, right. But even that's relatively slow compared – I mean, you know, of course, flowers blooming and dying, that happens really fast anyway. Even even in Valinor to an elf, that would seem fast. Um, right. But um, even though it's very – you know, it's much less fast. But, but yeah, like their favorite horses, right? They would have – good relationships with their horses mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. the, you know, and, 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 and dogs and even non Huan dogs, they would have good relationships right. with. Um, yeah. And they, they would have to notice that the life cycles are changing, you know? That, right. the, yeah. And one thing that's coming out through this plot line is again, Finrod's resistance to change. He doesn't want this to change. He is desperately trying to save his friend's life from this enemy that he doesn't understand mm-hmm. you know so when we get to um there's a scene like towards the end of act two here where you know bayer is pretty much on his deathbed right you know he's in hospice we, right. we, we would right. say at this right. point um and and the humans get it know, <laughs> right. right. And Adnell's yeah. there and she's she's you know doing her best to take care of him. She tells Finrod that they're keeping him comfortable. 
Right. And of course, we all know what that means. <laughs> right. 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 Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, but yeah, but I, Finrod... I just did this with my own grandmother. You know, yeah. uh, two months ago. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We. Yeah. Um. You know, Finrod is. You know, like oh, but we could try this, or we could try that, and that'll. That, that's not gonna like. There's nothing more, and she possibly is a little stressed out by the whole situation itself. Right. You know, right. and might even be a little bit more aggressive to him than than she would normally be, and say, "Look, there's nothing. There's nothing more we can do for him." Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like she would be offended by his attempts, but it like no. he is. <laughs> he's screwing up the vibe you know I mean like the, right. the deathbed moment is an important moment you know yeah. for everyone for the person yeah. who is dying for the family who is remaining behind right. um, and Finrod is not getting that right he right. is he is um, he's, I mean he's not just like a, 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 a you know a damper on that he's undermining right. it you know, right. uh, he's interfering with right. what they are all trying to do. They know what's happening and they're yeah. trying to do it. And uh, yeah, yeah. They kind of have a, yeah. they have a, they have a normal process that they go through to right. grieve and cope and honor. Mm -hmm. And, and he's like, he's just not getting it and he's interfering. Yeah. And, yeah, and that would be goes, really annoying. Yeah. Finrod goes to the healer, the elven healer, the elven healer tells him, like, I, I can't do. I told you, I can't do anything more for him. Right. He right. gets the the elven veterinarian to come and take a look at him. What's what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> right. <laughs> and right. Of course, the 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 veterinarian's like I is like super uncomfortable <laughs> in this situation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But Bayor's, you know, Bayor with you know the classic, the the classic signs of of uh, of a an old person who is still canny is like cracking jokes with him to, to kind of put him at ease. <laughs> right. Yeah, he, right. He wants to, it's fine. He wants to, it's fine. He just wants to take care of me. Everything's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, know? you know, you know what this makes me think of? And I, I hadn't thought of this at all either. I mean, really trying to imagine what this, what this, you know, deathbed experience would be like for Finrod and the way that his experience would be, you know, uh, clashing with uh, the whole uh, the whole human ex the whole experience of the of the humans there, I'm reminded of that line in the Athrobeth um, uh, where Aden oh, sorry no, I don't know Andreth tells Finrod that one of the things that the humans call the elves right that they that they call them grown up children, um, and that's going to be really palpable here. Right. Yeah. Finrod, the great king, uh, is in denial, is in de is going to be basically he's like the grown up, but he's acting like a three year old, um, yeah. you know, at at the deathbed, like all the grown ups know what's going yeah. on and they're being grown up and mature yeah. about what's happening. And Finrod is acting exactly like a three year old who just doesn't get it right. Who doesn't understand, right. you know, that grandpa's going away and is, you know, not going to be here at Christmas time like it. And that's. Yeah. That's where Finrod is in in, yeah. in one sense. That's where Finrod yeah. is, or at least that's what it's going to kind of look. That's what it's going to kind of look like, and that's really, um, uh, yeah. It's he, it's he's even kind of missing out. 
Yes, absolutely missing out. Like he's missing out on the final moments with his friend yes. because he's acting like this. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, I would hope that we would get to a moment, um, you know, the Bayor's farewell there, right? Where Bayor, I would think that a, a logical and really satisfying culmination of this would be the moment when Bayor like gets through to him. You know, uh, right. in some sense. And and I'm not yeah. saying he's still going to have Finrod is still going to have a lot of processing to do. Right. You know, right. it's it's going to be a while before he's really able to come to grips with this, because this is a before he's ready dis- to get a new dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I well, that was... get a new one. <laughs> like that one. <laughs> yes. Yes. But no, I mean, it's also this is it's a it's a complete paradigm shift. Right. I mean, yeah. this is Finrod at the age of however exactly old he is, you know, at the age of centuries and centuries old is having to realize like the world works in a different way than I thought it did. Right. I mean, like it's right. again, grappling with the kind of thing that human children grapple with, you know, mm. uh, when grandpa gets sick. Um, but. He's doing it at the age of like 900. Right. Um, right. And therefore it's 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 again change. Right. Realizing that uh, it's not just understanding the the inevitable and inescapable changes that that what he's trying to heal and imagining to be, uh, you know, must be clearly a temporary condition mm-hmm. uh, is, yeah. in fact, a a process of of uh, irresistible change. Um, but of course, in the bigger picture, him coming to grips with the fact that the entire, you know, the entire world is changing, that he yeah. has to change his understanding uh, of how things work. Right. Um, so Bayer passes, you know, in first in, in the same scene where the veterinarians there. Right. Um, which kind of interrupts what's supposed to be happening now. Right. 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 Bayer hands his mantle off to, to Adenel, um and he is. um this is in a separate scene from when when he dies. All right, mm-hmm. but you see that his family is, is is coming in. His final scene um, at the end of Act Three, and this was again this was very important. You know, yes, this is the most important event in this plot line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's not the climax because we have to get to what is going on with Finron. Right. right, right. We have to get we have to dig that out, and we can't dig it out while while Bayor is dying. Right. Right. Because we need to give that moment time to to breathe, right? Right. Um. So Bayor is surrounded by his now large, epically large family. You know, he's right. in his nineties in a in a world where most people are lucky to make it past forty. Right. 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 So yeah. he not only has grandchildren, but great grandchildren, and like teenage great grandchildren. Right. Right. I imagine. Right. right. And of course, you know, not to mention like representatives of the other families. I mean, he's he is uh-huh. the father of the whole people, right? So Right. Right. And so he's surrounded by his his legacy, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. It, I've always said this there's there's two really good ways to go out, and that's, you know, surrounded by the corpses of your enemies <laughs> or that's that's a very Conan the Barbarian way to go out, <laughs> or, or you know, at ninety years old, 
surrounded by your great ch- your grandchildren and great grandchildren yeah. and yeah. everybody that you've known you know ready to to see you th- to see you out right 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 like that's that's the two yep um so you know he he says he says his farewells to finrod finrod is struggling to understand uh he tells he tells Bayor, you know well maybe maybe i will meet you again in the halls of mandos in the west right. which was harkening uh, back to <clears throat> their mission right right in, right back in the beginning right and Bayor says i i would love to right but i don't know right. i don't know the way Rain check on that, you know. After the after the uh, end right. of Arda, maybe. <laughs> well, he doesn't. Well, he has no idea that either. They no, have of course no not. idea. Who'd be going not. there? Yeah, yeah. But the fact that he has the wisdom to say, "I don't know the way there," right? You know, to to remind him again of the fact that they literally have no idea what's going to happen to them. Yes, yes. Um, and he, you know, he as he passes, and uh, I don't know if you guys. I've heard yet the piece of music that has been uh, composed. I'm I haven't sure heard it yet. A... I've, I've heard about it, but I haven't heard it yet. Yeah. And um, it, it follows very closely. Some of the stuff that we were talking through where you hear the, the beats of the, of the heartbeat as mm-hmm. until it finally stops and falls into silence. Mm-hmm. And to just sit there in that silence for a few moments, you know, and everybody who, anybody who's gone through this knows that, silence right Mm -hmm. you know where nobody says anything for for a while um and uh and bear passes away Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how are we what's finrod doing like facially what's finrod doing in this moment he is... I'm gonna I'm gonna go on on a women saying not making that face that Orlando Bloom makes after Gandalf falls down into the abyss. No, no, <laughs> yeah, um, because that's that's unworthy of him, right? Yes, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was unworthy of Legolas, but for completely different reasons. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, um, but and and yes, there should be a certain amount of kind of befuddlement. But he also is surrounded by all these people who look up to him. You know, mm-hmm. like he, he can't look too stupid, right? Right. Like even even just like normal, you know, the normal way that they that our minds work to protect our personas would not allow that. <laughs> right. Right. <clears throat> right. And he is. Um, I mean, you know, we do have to balance the fact. That, I mean, there's a risk of Finrod looking quite that. foolish during this right. episode, right? You right. know, like he's the completely clueless one. He's the one who looks like a toddler, as we said, you know? Right. Um, and yeah. so if we're not careful, that can could really undermine Finrod yes. uh, in the eyes of the viewers as well as the eyes of the House of Beor here, right? So yes, he's not going to, he, he, is, he is not without wisdom, nor is he losing all dignity here. Um, right. He's just grappling with something that is deeply and fundamentally strange to him. Um there but should I, be an element of wonder, though, as he looks around. Yes. Because yes. these people are the able same. to accept this as Bayor is able to accept it. Yes. He would have Bayor's farewell to him, that moment when Bayor gets through to him and he mm-hmm. understands. He does. He still doesn't understand the process. He still does not really get what's yeah. going on. But the thing that he does get 
is Beor's choice. Right. He understands right. that Beor is is giving back the gift willingly, you know, Aragorn right. and Numenorean fashion. Right. And right. Um, he doesn't understand it. He can't fully parse it, but he perceives the choice that Beor is making and he respects and honors the choice that his friend is right. making. Um, exactly. So he's going to lay off the, you know, panic healing attempts, obviously. Yeah, the theatrics, um, yes. Exactly. But at, the, but at the same time, I agree. The next logical transition after Bayor, you know, he, he gets that and Bayor gets through to him in that way is going to be his observation of the people, right? His observation of the people around them. Uh, and therefore his... And they're going to they're going to 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 go up in his esteem. Right. He's going to he's going to have a lot of respect for the way that they're handling this, because in some way you could see this almost as like a kind of crisis in his mind. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because what he like the and he's remember that Finrod is like the philosopher of the elves. Right. So his mind is going to be going to like the the. okay, so this whole aging and mortality thing this is inescapable this is all humans do this this is this he's looking around at them like they accept this as a part of life as a part of their world um so a part of his of finrod's brain is going to be running is is going to be doing the math there right and sort of realizing the the kind of psychological and 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 philosophical implications of mortality as a whole, like he he will ha- he will have finally accepted, and and now he he will be the first one really to understand humans are mortal, and now I've got to completely recalibrate my thinking about what that means, what human life is, and as like in the back of his mind, this is happening. He's looking around and seeing the courage, um, the the grief, but the courage with which they you know, confront this, um, even the, you know, the, 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 um, the wisdom, the tenderness, you know, the, uh, there's, there's going to be a lot for him to admire while I would think he's going to be really reeling internally, kind of intellectually, uh, to sort of grapple with, uh, with this concept that he was still never really getting. Mm. Yeah. And the courage thing is a, is an important part because when, when we're in that room, right. We're literally staring death in the face. Mm-hmm. And some people can't – some people actually can't do that. Right. Some people right. can't be in that room. Yep. Yep. Because they can't – you know, I mean, yes, there's some people who can't do it out of grief and, and that's that's another situation. But there are people who can't do it because they can't face mortality in that way. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, it's a difficult thing for us to, to wrestle with because as we've been discussing in, in other episodes, we're not as honest with ourselves about our own mortality as we were in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of live like we're going to live forever. Yes. Whereas – and um, I don't know if you saw the video that was recently put out. Um, uh, Tom Shippey was doing most of the – the narration for it there was a narrator but he was the one doing most no, of the talk no no i didn't see it uh where he was yeah it, you sh- you should check it out. it's it's i think based on his book um and and uh, laughing i shall die the viking book yeah yeah right and he's talking about the way that the Bi- vikings talked about and dealt with death in their in the mm-hmm. sagas mm-hmm. 
um, and how they make a lot of jokes about it, right? right. And in, right. Uh, in a way, that I think that that's because they were more honest about death with themselves than than we tend to be, because we're so removed from it. Not only in, you know, we don't have we we send the sick people away, right? The the dead people are kept in refrigerators somewhere else. You know, even no, when, it's true. We, it's when we tr- eat, we go to the store to buy already dead food. You know, like, <laughs> right, that's... right, exactly. Even, even, even the our separation from the butcher's process uh, is, uh, um, you know, you don't go out to kill something before dinner anymore. Right. Um, which, which exactly people people would used to do. Um, yeah, no, you know, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right about that. Um, Karita had a really good question. Um, uh, it's a it's a sidebar, but that's fun. Um, how are we going to handle elves and expression of emotion? Do they, um, you know, so I, I'll read what she was saying. She's like, you know, how much do we want the elves to be readily in touch with their emotions? Uh, she's like, keep mm. thinking about elves in the movies, right? Like, you know, who tend to be all like impassive stoic. and stoic right versus yeah. the tralalalali elves right who are very effusive not in, you know with expressions mm-hmm. of personal emotion but um but but again i think the the point that i think Karita is making there is especially in the hobbit but it's still in other ways and you know we, it is easy to imagine elves acting freely in ways which humans would feel ashamed of Right. Or feel yes. embarrassed by, but they would elves yes. wouldn't necessarily feel embarrassed mm-hmm. by them. Right. Um, so th- they would not necessarily have the same social inhibitions when it comes to expressing right. different kinds. And they wouldn't necessarily feel the same way about all emotions. Right. But one can yeah. easily imagine a difference between elves and humans in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does Finrod act? You know, and, and, and so yeah. then, then kind of bringing this back with 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 uh, with Finrod. And his, so what do we think about that? What do we think about the elvish expression of emotions? Um, yeah. well, one thing that I'm that is brought to my mind is. Of the fellowship, mm-hmm. when encountering the Balrog, the only one who really shows a major reaction is Legolas. Yes. Yes. Legolas doesn't he like drop his bow? Yes, or something. Like, you know, yeah. like he is completely terrified and yes. isn't isn't afraid to show that he's terrified. Um, now, of course, you know, like potentially he knows more than most of them, mm-hmm. but I don't think he knows more like that much more than Aragorn what a Balrog is. Yeah, it's not like Legolas has any experience with that, right? Um, yeah. Presumably. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a major difference, you know. Aragorn does not have that same reaction, right? Boromir While does not sh- have that same reaction. Right. Now, Boromir doesn't I mean, Boromir, knows you could less. Chalk but it up to yeah, to not, ignorance, yeah. right? 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 Yeah, to 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 less awareness of yeah. of what they're looking yeah. at there, yeah. but um, but Aragorn surely knows, you know. So having that be a way, and and of course th- this. This question may be a reaction to me talking about, you know, Finrod not acting like a like a uh, like a maniac in the right. in the uh, in the in, in the, the death. In the death I'm not saying that she's she's saying that he should, but right. I can right. I can see the way I was describing that, evoking that question. Um, but having him weep visibly, I think, is totally appropriate. Yeah, yeah, you know. 
um, I have a I have a follow up question to this. Um, have you guys given any thought to how the the people around will in turn re respond to to Finrod? Like I, I perceive like an opportunity to to put them in a position where all the, the human the humans are comforting the great elf yeah. lord. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think um, that's a, that would be appropriate as well. This could be a real turning point. Um, especially as we think about the, the the narrative arc of the House of Beor within Nargothrond, right? From, mm -hmm. I mean, this would be a moment, a very fit moment of transition from like up until this point, they've been just in awe, right, of the elves of Nargothrond, right? They're just, mm -hmm. um, you know, feeling, uh, feeling like, you know, you know, young, you know, like, I don't know, 10 year olds, maybe, yeah. you know, in like a big fancy house of strangers. Right. Um, not wanting to talk too loud and afraid to touch anything. Um, and um, uh, this will be a turning point. Uh, of course, we're going to get further down the road, like further down the road. We're going to get a subset of the House of Beor who is going to like actively disdain the elves, right? There's going to become some mm. real, some tensions, I would think. Uh, you know, we talked yeah. about the, the unruly uh, teenagers of the later generations, right? Um, yeah. Uh, so there, there's, there's, there's things are going to turn even more in some way, not universally, but, but we're going to see that, uh, that kind of develop, but this would be a, this would be a time, you know, when, uh, uh, when the dynamic between yeah. the house of Beor and the elves, uh, changes when they realize they have, I don't know, it's not about realizing they have something to offer. That's not exactly right. But, um, but it is no, you know, they would perceive even at the very least <clears throat> a kind of vague sense of like, we know something they don't like, we understand something they don't, they yeah. are, they're, they're clueless when it comes to this kind of thing. That should be Adonel's reaction. Um, yes. because I imagine that Adonel, given her position and the fact that she's not a member of the family, um, it would not be appropriate for her to be um, overly emotive mm -hmm. under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. She is the leader and she is again, not the family. And, you know, that's, it's very, you know, it's, it's a big faux pas to weep more over a, a person who has passed away than the fa their family members who are around you that like that's generally looked as looked at as uh, not polite not to mention the fact that the event means much something much different to her than it means to, right. i mean yeah right. i mean this is a this is a huge moment she's for been her being prepared for this yes. moment for yes for years at this point absolutely um but having i think finrod uh openly weeping with Bayor's family I think would, I think that would be, and having like for a moment, he's their equal. Right. 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 And, and They're... I love the idea of someone comforting him. Like one yeah. of the, not Adonel in an official, like leader to leader kind of thing. Right. But like, like she should be observing. But... Yeah. Yeah. But somebody, I, I mean, it could be a child. It could be mm -hmm. somebody like one of the other, you know, it's like someone else who is weeping, uh, yeah. you know, who like embraces Finrod and they weep together, you know, like yeah. th that, yeah. you know, kind of thing is what I'm thinking. Um, and I love Marie was pointing out. I think this is a really uh, wonderful kind of irony. Um, 
you know, they are uh, one of the one of the major um, uh, kind of gaps uh, between one of the things which contributes to the many gaps between Finrod's experience and the, the rest of the people's experience here is that they are like thankful for having had Beorah with them for so long. Uh, <clears throat> and he is grieving for having been with him so briefly yeah, um yeah. uh you know so uh it's it, it is another way like so you know they may both be weeping but of course in many ways like they're they're it's it's gonna be clear that the emotional experiences happening within the two are not the same emotional yeah. experience um but i think that just can kind of make the situation richer now um once again the there there's going to be another plot line that's going to kind of invade this one um but we don't have to talk about that right this second because um there's a final scene after Beor has passed uh where Adenel and Finrod kind of shake all this out mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um because now Adenel has seen has watched Finrod's reaction to Beor's death and they like he has to kind of come to grips with human mortality. Right. right. Um, and she's going to lay this all out for him. And this should, it, you know, we don't want to go too far with this because we don't want to step on Andreth's toes, obviously. Right. right. But we want this, this, um, this conversation to be on the road to that one. Right. And by the way, side note, is this kind of, is this episode kind of Adenel's big moment? I mean, she's going to be primarily, I mean, um, Andreth is going to be waiting in the wings pretty quickly once we get back to the House of Baor right. after episode three, right? right. So um, this moment of Adonel taking the mantle from Baor and being right. the leader of the people at the funeral of Baor is going to be right. kind of, in a sense, yes. Adonel's pinnacle yeah. here. Yeah. And again, you know, we can show the, the funeral is a good opportunity for us to show um, Finrod's um, emotive state, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the conversation between him and Adonel is a prototype of the conversations that Finrod will eventually have with uh, with Andreth. Right, right, uh, right. Um, because you know, like now, Adonel is taking Beor's place. As you know, as Finrod's contact mm-hmm. uh, in you know, you know, she's the new liaison, right? She's right, the new right. person who's going to be handling the uh, the matters with the elves. So, right, right. Um, well now, that the the that kind of meeting you're describing between Adenel and Beor, where does that happen in relationship to the funeral again? Uh, between Adenel and Finrod, it takes place after the um, after the funeral. After itself. the funeral, okay. How do yes. the elves? Uh, how do the elves of Nar- not just Finrod personally, but the rest of the elves of mm-hmm. Nargothrond? What's their like participation slash observation of the funeral? Do you think uh, we were talking about having Finrod honor Beor in the the best way that he can? Mm-hmm. Um, he lies in state um, in a way that you know, so that all the elves are are present for this funeral. It is not confined to. You know, like it's happening often in the human enclave, right, right? With like a few elves in attendance. No, this is, um, this is Finrod's friend, and he is going to honor him in as great a way as he knows how. Right, right, right. And we're going to get some some more elvish point of view, um, 
about the mortality of men w- without the baggage that Finrod's bringing to because Finrod's bringing a lot of emotional baggage to of course this. yeah it's, 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 um, it's his friend whereas to the elves uh, the rest of the elves many of them anyway right. it'll be a more right abstract um I can I'm, I'm just gonna kind of briefly touch on the fin uh Fingen Mytheros plot here because I know we're probably running out of time um and that Fingen's basically uh, been showing uh, Mytheros been telling Mytheros about some of the observations that he's been making um, because Fingen is has been studying men from afar and one of the great things about this is it's really going to inform the way that he deals with them when uh, when the, the when Hador comes around right right because we've talked about about this that the relationship between the house of Hador and the Noldor is about as good as it gets Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right because they are you know they are not subservient in the way that Beor's people were Mm -hmm. and they're not separate in the way that how the house people are Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. they are working alongside them and they're using each other's strengths um in in ways that the other groups are are not the other contacts are uh, are not having the positive impact right. that um, that results from Fingen's study of humans, um, and they wind up in Nargothrond to witness the funeral of Beor. Um, so, and... so, so wait, who is there? So, Finrod is there, obviously. So, Fingen is there at the funeral. Fingen is is there at the funeral, like it, like at the in the fourth act. There, Fingen's discussions with Myathros. Um, land, land them in Nargothrond. That's the culmination okay. of their right. their so kind of journey. So and Fingen both both are there, right? Okay. Um, and this is of course going to inform both of their um their future relationships with men with humans. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Fing, but this allows us to get a an objective view from some elves about what what we're seeing here right right and right. you know if the fingen's takeaway is that these these people are going to do the most they can with the time they have you know that's that is the best human life right but fingen is also going to come away with the impression that although they're going to do the most that they can it's not much right <laughs> I would say that Mytheros might. Mytheros might? Be of that. But if you, it, like, looking at what is happening there at that funeral with the, with Beor lying in state and the impact that this one person had on all of these people mm-hmm. in the mere 90 years he was alive. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, that's a that's yeah. a big deal. And I feel They're like they're old enough to vote. That. And there he's gone already. Right. Yeah. 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 And Fingen is going that is going to be part of Fingen's takeaway when he gets to the House of Hador. And um because I know we wanted to have we're gonna get into this uh, another day, but because I know that we wanted to have Hador involved in the rescue of yeah. the prisoners in, in Rogram's escape. Yeah. Putting them putting Hador close enough to Thangordrim to be involved in that shows that Fingen knows that if men are going to see action, they need to be right up at the front. Right. Because otherwise they may never see it. Right. Right. Mm. Right. Right. 
as Bayor didn't. Right. Exactly. And as uh, and I think, you know, so we're still a ways away from any Fingen or anybody perceiving um, the sort of coming stagnancy of the House of Bayor. Right. The the mm-hmm. the um, right. The deleterious effects of the sheltering of mm-hmm. the House of Bayor. Um, uh, but certainly Fingen with that kind of realization, Fingen would be kind of prepared to start things on a different foot, which is right. what's going to lead to the more positive relationship with Hador and his people. But of course, Hador and Hador's own actions are going to be a big part of that as well. Right. right. So, yes. Um, but yeah, but this, I, I know it's the C plot, right? The Fingen is the, just sort of setting a lot right. of that stuff up. Um, okay. Um, It's late, but we have only that little B plot uh, to yeah. talk about. Um, it's not. There's nothing important going on there. Yeah. we can get through. Why that let quickly. it? Why let it linger over into next time? Exactly. Why? Why, why yeah, let it wait four a, weeks? Let's just talk about it briefly. Let's talk about it briefly. Okay. Have a so clean, clean break and yeah. uh, and just go right to episode four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's see if we can do um, it here. So, the primary issue. So basically, the 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 facts, right, of the B plot are Arathel and Ael, they've met, right? This is the romance, right? Their 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 engagement is gonna be the end of episode three for the B plot, right? Mm. Or yes. their agreement, engagement, maybe not exactly. Yeah. Right? Ael's not gonna go down on one knee, you know, that's not how yeah, this no, this goes down. Uh, no. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Um so how do we balance there are three perspectives here, right? Mm-hmm. We've got Arthel's perspective on what's happening. We've got Aeol's perspective on what's happening. And we have the viewer's perspective on what's happening. Right. Um, right. I can guess what we would want Arthel and Aeol's different perspectives to be, right? Arthel, mm-hmm. as we – and we just spent a lot of time discussing this before. She's seeing an opportunity, right? Like this mm-hmm. is – uh, you know, this is a providential opportunity for her to bring in a new ally and through him to attain further. ally. You know, she wanted to contribute and now she's been given this opportunity to contribute in a way that mm-hmm. only she can. Like, she, you know, she has this unique opportunity. And so joining herself with Aeol seems like following providence, right? Doing mm-hmm. the doing the right thing. And, and, uh, and, you know, so I can easily imagine how she is kind of can convince herself of this. Um, and also the negative thing the the, the fear of um, there has to also be the conviction that she can change him, right? Like he is, he's made this darker, less roomy, creepier little gondolin, right? Um, that mm-hmm. he's retreated into, so she's got to believe that she can. Like she, she, she's was concerned that she was going to fail to change Turgon, right, or that he was mm-hmm. headed in a direction that she wasn't going to be able to influence. She must believe she can change Ale, right? She's going to bring yeah. Ale out of himself, right? Right. And uh, right. you know, so there's got to be some degree of uh, sort of self delusion in that direction, um, right? Ale. Ale's going to be thinking, what exactly? This is a sort of opportunity, but an opportunity for what? Is this just what's his what's his angle? Ale's angle, 
narcissism? So, uh, yes. Yeah. So essentially, essentially, what happens there, and this happens all the time, he wants to be this guy that she's talking about, the guy that he believes that she is. Okay. Right. Um, or that he, he be- she believes he is. is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. <laughs> I can't believe I really caught that after the fact. Uh, <laughs> he wants to be that person. Yeah, and because that person sounds awesome. Right. So, so we do want to have an element of like maybe he actually will change. Right. right. That he like, he's because... not just playing her a hundred percent from the beginning. Right. So, I, I mean, yes, because he's kind of playing himself. Because w- when did these people not playing themselves ultimately mm-hmm. right they make themselves that's why they're so effective mm-hmm. is because they themselves believe that they're going to be the person that this person wants mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and one of the things that, like he has again you were you're asking about the audience's perspective right and i feel like still we want the audience to be on their side Right, right. At this point. I mean, obviously, anybody who knows anything or, you know, does right. a quick Google search is going to know that that's not how <laughs> this, this is going to go. This is not going to end well. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, uh, though, you know, do you want to go so far as to give Tolkien fans a slight bit of uneasiness that we're deviating from the story in this way? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, because there have been, there are already things that we've changed about the yeah, story. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the House of Baylor is enough to show that. That's the hallmark of this entire project. Just a a persistent, like, slight nausea. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I I feel that every other Sunday night. Um, Yeah, yeah. So I like like this idea of, I I feel like sort of for Aeol, there'll be this sense of, like, him buying into, like, the vision that she sells him on of of him being this great leader. But, like, but, like, but and it's not it's not disingenuous, but it's just pretty clear that 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 he does that like the vision that that he buys into isn't necessarily the one that she's actually really selling. Like, right. He's really buying into the idea of like these grand plans, but like he's clearly going to go right about like right away going to go about it like in his own little. His well, own because the problem way. is that he isn't that guy. Right. Yeah. But exactly. but he does believe that he is. I mean, that's, yes. that's you know, as right, Marie yes. says, she the, tells him. the issue with narcissism is that you believe your own hype um, and yeah. and other people's yeah. hype. But but see, but the reservation is so like she's, you know, hyping up this idea of, the, you know, the vision and his role in the vision. And I, I'm not saying that he he doesn't do this process explicitly in his head. But the kind of division is on the one hand, you know, he's like, well, well, yes, she is right. I am, in fact, great. Right. You know, that that's clear. But of course, because he believes in his own greatness, there's going to be possibly an unexamined even part of his own mind, which is going to have a kind of silent qualifier, which says, but in time, I will teach her how things are supposed to go. Right. He's not subscribing to her vision. Right. Um, He's going to have a fundamental, a so fundamental, he never even examines it belief in the fact that he's the one who actually knows what is best. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, so it's it's not so much that he's buying into her vision, but 
he's excited to have met someone that recognizes his, his greatness. Friend, what he's yeah. all about. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, and... Finally, someone who's, who perceives my greatness. Good. Yes. And then absolutely. He stops listening right. at that point. And he <laughs> right. may even convince himself that, yes, we can do all of those things together. Yes, sure. Right. One day. Right. Right. And, you know, like with a, like, like just as... like the faintest edge, which maybe not even perceptible, but like, again, internally, the edge of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, patronizing. Right. Yep. You know, like, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, right. Absolutely. Right. But the time will come when, like, my superior wisdom will show you that I know the way that we should truly guide events. But in general, yes. About my greatness, you are correct. About the fact that we can achieve great things together, too. Yes. They, they Needless to say, they will be the, the great things that my superior wisdom suggests. Right. But uh, but absolutely, you're you're so right about that. Right. And the, the hard thing was to get us from this kind of mercenary relationship, in a way, mm-hmm. to one, to a romantic one. And the way that we found to do that was to give him give Aeol a moment of what appears to be humility in saying that he what he needs in order to make all of her dreams come true in all of in order for him to realize his potential which is what she's telling him that she wants to have happen he needs a partner mm-hmm. which is the first time he's ever needed anybody right right, right. which shows his positive growth <laughs> right like Right. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. becoming a better person. She's changing see? him already. Look at that. Right. Yeah. Like, it's it yep. just like it's just gonna take some time to get there. Mm-hmm. hmm Yes, yes. Um now there's another element here, and I'm assuming that this element will be almost completely invisible so far, right? But obviously one of the other elements of uh his relationship with her um, his attitude towards her, how he feels about her. He hates the Noldor, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, one, one yeah. of the premises of their relationship is that he hates the Noldor. Um, right. And so one of the elements that is going to be, I would think, a major corrupting factor in their relationship from the start is that he... One of... The, by taking her, claiming mm-hmm. her... And uh, uh, dominating her, essentially, right? Making her into a possession of his. There's a lot of projection going on here, right? There's a lot of ways in which he is kind of uh, psychologically compensating himself for the ways in which he feels like the Noldor have come and taken over. uh, And he resents that, right? He's asserting his superiority over them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not... It's not the same thing, but it's not unlike a man who seduces other men's wives mm-hmm. in order to feel like he is superior to those other men. Right. I mean, or or to take a much darker, uh, if people will forgive me for alluding to it, but a very, mm-hmm. uh, a very apt, I think, for Aeol parallel. It's like serial killers who mm-hmm. have felt inadequate. Uh, and who have looked at, like, you know, the cheerleading squad from afar and felt scorned and looked down upon, who then goes yeah. on to kidnap and rape t- uh, cheerleaders later in life. In, you know, in that kind of... I mean, this is a thing. This happens, yeah. right? And, I, you know, if there's anywhere in Middle-earth that we clearly see this kind of, like, serial killer mindset at work, 
it's going to be with Aolin Miglin. I mean, this is this is mm. that, that there is that element, and there is no question that there is an element, um, a parallel of rape. Uh, you know, that, that it is yeah. there is a rape dynamic, uh, definitely, in the relationship between from Aol to uh, to Aradel. Now, I really like what we're doing. You know, we're not making it a rape from the beginning. She is not merely ensnared and kidnapped and uh, you know uh, chained up in Aol's basement from day one of their relationship. And I like so I'm, I I don't want anybody to think that I'm trying to change that. And but mm-hmm. I'm just trying to draw attention to the. That that dynamic is there, right? That dynamic of I hate the Noldor, I resent the Noldor. Oh, look, it is one of the Noldor who has come to me, right? Yeah. Um, and oh, and she's beautiful and she's attractive and I can elevate my I can, you know, raise myself in my own esteem um, not by yeah. possessing her. And then after possessing her by you know, uh, bringing her down. Right. Again, this, the, 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 the kind of psychological projection and self-compensation that seems to me, a, 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 an almost inescapable element of Aeol's psychology here. Now, again, as I say, I'm assuming that that element of it is completely, um, completely suppressed. Uh, it, it's, it's not going to be apparent in episode three, right? right. Um, We'll get there, but but I'm just I'm wondering if there are ways in which we uh, we sort of um, uh, so, not anticipate prepare in some ways for that. You know, things mm-hmm. that he says, which in retrospect are going to be obvious red flags, but which can yeah. you know won't seem that way necessarily, and which are they'll certainly won't perceive. Right. So what what we can do here is present that as further growth so if he starts out this episode you know expressing attitudes that are very Mm anti-noldor but then he suggests that at the end of the episode that he not only um you know he he not only sees value in everybody working together but that he needs her personally in order to accomplish that Mm -hmm. i feel like that may be the setup that you're that you're looking for there, but it's construed in a positive way because the audience is invited to believe that he that he is he is also having a paradigm shift in this episode. Um, the stuff where he like once Mylan comes along, he should kind of despise her. Mm-hmm. They don't have any other children, you know. In, in a way, he has what he needs from her. Right. 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 And that's. That's why he actually needs somebody. It's not just because she's so beautiful that he, you know, that he desires her. Yes. Right. Right. But he wants, uh, uh, he wants a, a, so he has the silent servants that are his minions that'll do whatever he wants, but they're not giving him the same feedback that you get from a person that you have personally groomed to be your to be your servant yeah Yeah. in the way that a son might i want to be quite clear about this what does aeol want what does winning look like Mm. for aeol like what's his ambition what's his goal does he want to defeat morgoth i mean does he just i mean i guess the line that floats into my head when i ask that question is um uh uh denethor i would 
I would have things as they were all the days of my life, you know, is right. uh, uh, that uh, feels to me like what Aeol would say. Right. Um, and again, of course, uh, in <laughs> Marie says he hates Morgoth, but he hates lots of people. Um, right. Uh, he it, it certainly strikes me as obviously relevant to our theme of change. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you could put Aeol on the very far extreme end yeah. of the resistant to change spectrum. Right, even further than Turgon. He doesn't see Morgoth as a threat to him personally. Right. Like, he doesn't... He hasn't experienced any deleterious effect right. of Morgoth's existence. The orcs haven't come through Nine Almoth and put it to the torch. Right. You know, he's had no problem. Like, like even the, the... the Whatever minor incursions they may have attempted to do at some point have been... have not affected him at all. And he could well believe that Nan Elmoth is impervious, you know, that, right. that, that there's nothing that, yeah. Yeah. So that's I mean, why he bought it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so he wants things just to, he wants things to stay. So, but, but this is my point. This is where, this is what I think is potentially awkward here. Um, mm. If we have him really embracing a vision, even if it's like, even if he has a sort of an unspoken qualification that he's going to be the one actually driving the vision when it comes to it. And he's, you know, kind of, you know, indulging her uh, uh, when it comes to how the plan's going to work. Um, the idea that he actually is attracted to this outward facing, you know, war against Morgoth plan feels difficult feels wrong okay it feels like, like i don't think he would really actually believe i could see him playing up to that perhaps mm. but i would think he would almost have to be lying consciously lying already so if he hopes that what he can change her vision into is something where people recognize him mm-hmm as important yeah mm -hmm. right um but that nothing changes for him on his day-to-day -day, mm -hmm. right because if you look at the way that he the conversation that he has with um with Kurifin, i believe it seems to me that he sees himself as a grand lord mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right at least and the they, equal of the of the noldor lords obviously right Right, they're and the, they don't. They're the yeah, no, they don't. Right, so he he resents them for this, obviously. And I mean, could it just be? Could it just be about respect on that level? Um. Oh my gosh, there's a there's a story that does this. I'm trying to remember what it is, about somebody who is uh, who's ill treated by like the the ruling class and even once they enter into great wealth the ruling class still doesn't respect them because you know it's not you know it's not old money it's not right, true right, right it right. happens a f in a few different stories obviously mm -hmm. you know but, but i can't think of a concrete example off the top of my head for some reason um could it be something of that nature his attitude towards the to, towards them right his attitude towards them and, and what he thinks that the vision of Arathel can be molded to. Ah. Uh, 
or or sort of on a related note, isn't there something in, you know, like so so the reason he's even interested in a relationship with her it sort of has to do with like enacting his desire for you know it's like conquest over his enemies, old or whoever. Um, so there's some there's got to be some opportunity in in kind of going along with cooperating with Arthel that present they, there's an opportunity for him to to once again for that that sort of thing that kind of conquest over his over his you know um, maybe not as explicitly his enemies but like you know basically just gives him an opportunity to get one over on them. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't and it's not it's not like he's like planning heist or con or something. But it's more like you know. He's buying into his vision, his grand vision of he'll be a leader and all this kind of stuff because it will give him power over the people that he really wants to have power over. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing about her vision that specifically says that his lifestyle has to change. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like she can bring all of that in to him without him right. having to ever go out and do anything other than the things he's already doing. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, so I think the way to play it in these scenes, uh, because of course, like nothing that they're talking about is going to end up coming to coming to pass. No. So we don't have to worry about what actually happens. Um, but if we have him be kind of vague and noncommittal, right, yeah. um, agreeing with the greatness thing and like, you know, we can accomplish mighty things together uh, and but kind of vague about execution, you know, kind of vague about what the actual plan is in ways which enable her because she's got a vision. Right. And she can easily convince herself that he's got the vision. Right. right. And she Especially can see herself as leading him. Talking. Yeah. She's doing most of the talking. Yeah. Exactly. Like we talked last time about the, you know, about the 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 interview during a, a, the car sales process is, right. you know, like that's exactly what he's doing here. Right. Is right. he's letting her talk. She, yeah. He's letting her sell herself on the idea that he is a catch, right? That right. he is the bee's knees. Yeah. Right. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, so when they agree to marry, she believes that they are on the same page, joining together in the vision. Um, and she's a little bit blinded by her the starriness of her own vision here, right? right. Um, and when he agrees to marry her, you know, he believes that he has found exactly, you know, the partner that he never had, you know, the one who appreciates who who yeah. who acknowledges his greatness? Who, who, right? who acknowledges the finer things like right. me? <laughs> right, and 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 is, and and he is also through their marriage asserting the proper relationship between himself and the Noldor, right? right. And you know what's so uncomfortable about this is the fact that like we all like people who like us, right? Yep. Like we all we all like people who think we're great. Yes. And we want to encourage people to continue thinking that because we like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Human beings like that. And so it's like it's an unsettlingly familiar feeling. Yes. Yes. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I agree. I think that's great. I think that's great. So it, there are things which 
you know, I don't think we want to have it be so untroubled, their romance be so untroubled that mm -hmm. people, nobody suspects that anything could possibly go wrong. We're, we're going to start breaking that up in the next episode. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. But but definitely we can see, you know, uh, there there can be a little, there can, there will definitely be some discomfort. But also I love the idea of there being clear signs that she she might be right. This could maybe mm -hmm. she is changing him, right? Maybe, right. Uh, maybe her vision is going to, especially since her vision was the whole impetus of episode two. It was the a plot of episode right. two, right? And right. now carrying on into this one, she's doing it, man. She's making it happen, right? This is uh, this is her story, uh, and that's how that's how her story is headed. Um, there's a very natural. She has momentum from episode two, right? That leads into this. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's excellent. I like that. So the only thing we didn't talk about was the frame, but here I think we can. So the, here's here's what we'll do. We, I mean, I we we like did almost all of episode three and half of episode two. So we're like so far catching up with things here. So let's save the next time when we do episode four. We'll start with the let's start with the frame, and we'll we'll yeah. we'll look at the whole the frame trajectory episode two, episode three, and episode four, and then that's we'll good, get into episode good four. Art, those three, yeah, yeah. So we'll 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 kind of consider those together. I mean, the, there's not a whole lot that happens in the frame, but rather than squeezing it into a couple minutes here at the end, it's late. We'll uh, we'll start with that next time and talk about that all together. So, uh, everybody, remember our next episode session five twenty three. Uh, we'll be at a special time. No longer am I going to be broadcasting at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, European time. We're going to be broadcasting at 2 o'clock in the morning my time for the benefit of the Europeans, uh, giving the Europeans a little bit of their own back there. Uh, so, yes. So we'll be broadcasting at 2 a.m. Eastern time, 11 Pacific, uh, and... Um, uh, and 8 a.m. Uh, uh, Central European time. Uh, so, uh, you know, this should be something that's a little bit easier for uh, Europeans to join us. Uh, we're going to be joined uh, by longtime, uh, uh, really, really uh, central film film contributor Hakan, who is uh, and we're going to be talking about casting. We're going to be discussing uh, casting. Hakan has been our casting coordinator for the last several seasons. Uh, and uh, we're going to be going through the characters, the new characters that we're introducing and discussing what we would want to see. Right. We're, so we're we're, we're going to we're going to be basically making our casting call uh, for the new uh, the new actors and actresses we need to cast uh, in episode in uh, in 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 season five, so that'll be the subject of our discussion next time. So technically, Friday, January twenty ninth at two a.m. Eastern time, though in my opinion, Friday doesn't begin until dawn. Um, uh, but anyway, so it's going to be three hours later than you know, uh, two weeks from now, but 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 uh, but four hours later uh, than normal. Uh, and then we'll go back to the normal schedule after that. Uh, so in February, we'll be uh, uh, we'll be we'll be we're, we're back on our regular two week schedule and we'll be back to our regular time for our first session there in February. And that's when we'll talk about episode four and start with the frame. So that's the plan of what's coming on ahead. So be thinking about the new characters. You know, we've already we've established, you know, pretty much all of the elves. Uh, so we don't have many elf characters. It's going to be mostly the human characters are going to be the central part of the casting discussion, of course. Uh, so be thinking about what do we want? 
you know, in, uh, in, 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 in looks and demeanor, what kind of actors and actresses are we going to be looking for, uh, for, uh, for, so remember this is not for specific suggestions, right? We're not looking for nominations, uh, for actors and actresses. We're just thinking of the characters only and talking about the characters so we can get a better idea of what we're, what we will be looking for. So, all right. Thank you everybody for joining us. And I will say as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.